to Proactive, the podcast where we dive deep into the realms of productivity. This is not a podcast just about being productive in business or achievement. Our hosts, Dr. Tina, Richie, and Arthur, as well as our guests each week, will provide you with tips, strategies, and insights to supercharge your best life. Proactive is about being productive mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. If you are ready to produce your best life and balance being with doing, then hit the subscribe button and get proactive. And now for today, let's welcome today's guest. We have with us Bhaskar Goswami. Bhaskar is the founder of Badai Plus Dana. He's a radical transformation mentor and an amazing coach. His testimonials are extraordinaire. He is a visionary mentor and speaker, passionate about empowering people to thrive in work and life. His company, Badai, is a multiple award-winning company that offers genuine well-being solutions to individuals and organizations. He has a rich and diverse background in the yogic tradition, born in India under the lineage of Vasista. I might not be saying that right. That is the one of the founding fathers of yoga, and he has been trained by some of the most respected masters of transformative practices in both India, Kuwait, and Canada. And I can certify that he is one of the best yoga teachers I have ever taken yoga with. He's also a certified master coach from Accelerated Evolution Academy and a personal mentor to many highly influential business leaders and their teams. He works with numerous elite organizations around the world, guided over 50 retreats, spoken in prestigious organizations and events, including the UN Global Climate Change Summit in Morocco. He's published two international albums and is the author of Wisdom Stories Book One, which is a fun, easy to read book. He also, my gosh, has a master's in electronic engineering. You are really renowned, amazing, and quite a productive life, my dear. In your few short years, because I don't even think you have any real gray hairs. So tell us, how do you do it? Firstly, I'm so happy to be here with you. What a delight. I'm Thank doing you. very well. Thanks for coming over. My pleasure, yeah, Arthur, Richie. Yeah, he's from, right now he, he resides in Canada. Right, I'm in Montreal right now. Yeah. Wow. So, Bhaskar, you've done a lot in your life. And you stay balanced and even. Give us some tips how you do that. Well, when you summarize anyone's life in a minute or two, it does sound like a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, I mean, I guess my fundamental obsession has always been around our human condition. That's mm -hmm. always been my passion. And what I've been doing essentially is just sharing my enthusiasm around what we're calling being human. Mm. And uh, I love that. yeah, so it's an exploration and sharing and learning constant um, deep dive into that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how do you manage your day when I know you have lots of things to take care of? Because you have a family as well as a business. Right. And you're coaching people, running businesses, taking care of a wife and kids. So how do you what do you do to stay balanced yourself? Three kids upstairs right now. I will share with you all the ultimate hack. So if your listener only has five minutes, I'll, I'll share this and the rest is bonus, essentially. <laughs> it's a very simple insight. Dr. Tina, you, you're very aware of this from our uh, coaching training. 
that currently we're all living in two realities. So right now there's a reality of the beautiful image of you in the screen in front of me and Arthur and Richie and all the details, the outside in reality, we know that so well, all the objects around us. And then there's a subjective reality, that's the world inside of us. And the world inside of us communicates and expresses itself in those four elements of thoughts, images, emotions, body sensations. So when I'm excited, what is that? That's a thought, it's an image, it's an emotion and a body sensation. Anger, despondency, irritability, resentment, they all are made up of, of these four components, right? So yeah. the ultimate hack to me has been the realization that consciousness is making contact with content in the objective and subjective reality. Mm. So if I look at a pen, that's consciousness making contact with this object I'm calling a pen. It's the same thing as me making contact with my heart beating or a thought or image. It's the same consciousness. It's the same contact. It's just the content is either we're calling objective or subjective. The ultimate hack is resting the awareness behind the content. This is what you can mm -hmm. call the eye of the storm, um, the Buddha in the marketplace. So there's a way of being in busyness without being busy. Yeah. If that, that made any sense. True. That's the yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's being present in, in in the center of the hurricane and watching the hurricane exist. Yeah, to me, the skill that's very worthy of cultivating is being aware of both at the same time. Mm -hmm. Being aware of our outer world, objective world, and subjective world at the same time. And that has been the gift of the years I've been blessed with master teachers around yoga, meditation, breathwork, and so on. It's just cultivated the capacity to remain in contact. And as you know, the skill is in being in contact with both under duress. You know, so yeah. it's kind of easy in a meditation room with a beautiful, you know, sanctuary setting. But when life squeezes you, can we still be the awareness behind the anger? The awareness behind unpleasant things happening outside of us. So that so is how, do you, how do you do that? How do you calm down? The world is blowing up around you, and you got three screaming kids, and what Sachin, you know, hammering you, and uh, etc. How do you do that? The uh, another hack is that for for my mind to get disturbed, the mind has to be playing in two different fields. One field is the field of past and future. And the other field is the field of craving and aversion, what you can call leaning in, leaning away. So things that are past pleasant would be things what you call nostalgia. Things that are future pleasant would be things under what you can call excitement. Things that are past unpleasant, there'll be some memory of the past, could be anger, resentment, guilt, shame, etc. And things that are future unpleasant would be things like Fear, phobia, stress, neurosis, all that kind of stuff, right? Future unpleasant. So the mind, for it to be disturbed, it has to be hanging out in these playing fields. So the simple answer is to be in actual reality. So you take out the past, take out the future. What do you have? You have what's happening right now. So a very simple way to do that would just to bring awareness to what's actually happening right now. And one thing that's always happening is the breath. Breath. It is such a simple thing. So as soon as you come to the breath, you take out the playing fields and you find the anxiety, neurosis, stress, frustration, whatever, excitement, diminish and you become much more centered. So the breath is as good for a beginner 
as it is for a Zen master. Wow. Tina, wow. Tina, what was that book we talked about? Fitch? The one grateful, mindful every step or something? Mm. I don't know. Thich, Thich Nhat Hanh, probably. Brother Thai. That sounds like Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, is it mindfulness with every step or gratefulness with every step? Something like this? My, yeah, I think that was it. Yes, yes. Oh. He, he's a very well-known well known Zen master around mindfulness. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, breath is, you know, it's funny. I, I realized a, a piece of that once. I, used, I probably still have a fear of heights, but I refuse to let it stop me, right? It's mm. always about conquering my fear of heights. Because I want the excitement of whatever it is I need to do. Right. And I distinctly remember doing ropes courses to get over it, to get over it. And then it was like, all right, I'm done. It's behind me, whatever. So I go to a ropes course and I'm climbed to the top, really got there fast. And then I'm starting to walk on this tightrope up top. And I started, my brain started to like, the, all the fear came back. And I was just like, girlfriend, stop breathe. If you're breathing, you're alive. If you're breathing, you're alive. And that's, you know, and, and, and I just started laughing and then I could do it. Right. Because if you're breathing all is well, you're alive. Well, yeah. You're and right it, it just got me. And then I had so much fun. Lovely. You know, and the same thing with the breath is the you know, breath is coming and going. There's no question of craving aversion. So you can relax with that as well. So it just brings you to that middle of that of that X. So you're right in the center. What in the Buddhist tradition is called right awareness, which is present moment awareness, and mm -hmm. equanimity, which is a mind that is not oscillating between craving and aversion. Mm. And, um, and right awareness is awareness with content in the present moment, objective, subjective content rising in the moment. So when we're in full-on contact with reality, this would be like perfectly tuned in to your favorite radio station, whatever it is. Let's say it's 98.5 FM. That's like you're hearing just pure sound and the world is hearing the highest version of your music. You're completely tuned in. Now, when there's a little bit of distortion and the distortion could be fear or craving, something shows up, let's say it's 98.6 FM, you can still be in sound, but there's a bit of noise in the background. Then it goes to 98.7, let's go. Now the noise is a bit too much. You got to really pay attention to the music. When it gets to 99 FM, forget it. There's only noise. There's no sound. There's no music anymore. So there's a, a gradation, if you will, of this distortion. And I call it green light, yellow light, red light. Right? So mm -hmm. when that, when that dr the dramatic effect is like between zero to four, that's green light. You can still hear the music. You can still be middle of the wheel. You haven't been hijacked completely. From four to seven, yellow light. You got to try a little bit harder. And that's where we can go, come on, Tina, focus on your breath. You got this. You know, you can use these incantations. We know these beautiful breathing techniques as well that can just dissipate the superficial drama. You know, inhaling rapidly from the nose multiple times, exhale th slowly through the mouth. It's a fantastic way to reset the vagus nerve and come back to homeostasis. Once we get to seven and beyond, that's red light. You're gone. There is no longer a Bhaskar or a Dr. Tina. There's just anxiety or fear or phobia you can completely mm -hmm. hijack so the real skill is in essentially reducing the amplitude the duration and the frequency of the distortion so say i experience fear of eight out of ten three times a day 
I want to bring it down to a seven out of 10 or six out of 10. Say it lasted for two hours. I want to bring it down to one hour, half an hour, you know? And then, so, in, and also duration, three times a day, maybe it's once a day. And soon as it keeps diminishing, diminishing, the whole thing becomes green light. And for a Zen master, it's pretty much zero all the time. Okay, so someone's out in the red zone, mm. okay? And they're absolutely having a panic attack, anxiety attack, meltdown, mm. right? And what would your go-to to get them just, even just to get to yellow, right? Right. Like I know for me, I'm in the office and I'm usually having people hold their breath and focus on their breath. But but again, as a Zen master, mm -hmm. what how would you get somebody who is having is there something that's is there a hack someone can do to get them off the edge back to the yellow when they're right. in red? So there's two kinds of red. One, I would say is a chronic medical kind of a red. A red. Chronic medical, this would be more trauma. And there you need to see a specialist when there's something really chronic going on, psychologists and so on, they're trained in this. So we're not talking mm -hmm. about trauma. We're just talking about someone who's just become completely imbalanced. Right. Or for whatever reason. One hack is we are essentially um, transducers of our state and our energy. You know, mm -hmm. we are. that's what we're doing. So mm -hmm. if somebody walks in ill-tempered they don't say anything but you can feel a sort of pulling away because you can feel their vibe right and somebody walks in joyful you can feel their vibe and you automatically feel joyful so we're sort of transmitting our vibe a lot yeah that's so, your electromagnetic field coming out of your heart you got it that's exactly totally. what it is so one thing is for me to really unzip my field and extend it to the person so mm. i'm almost embracing them with what i call love energy so that right. really wears a calming effect so mm, we can that be true. that that uh, that sanctuary for people just by our way of being, calm demeanor, softness in our approach, and that just helps to bring the temperature down, simmer it down, just by the contact. So if somebody's having uh, a panic attack, pick up the phone and call your calmest friend. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> someone who doesn't have the horse in the race <laughs> can help you a lot to just to the temperature down someone who's very good at listening only to yeah. understand that's a helpful friend to have right and also get your pet get, get yourself a pet get your cat or your dog and start petting oh, them. any form of nature is the best yeah. healer everybody you know there's the best medicine around uh just going for a walk or being with a sentient being and just taking a few moments to connect with nature is a fantastic healer uh, another great healer is literally right under our nose just if you have the cognizance to do so, if you haven't completely been hijacked, if you're completely hijacked, it's too late. Telling a person who is like an eight out of 10 to take a deep breath is the worst thing you can do. <laughs> it's gonna lash out at you. You take a deep breath <clears throat> and bang. So no, if, 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 if there is some consciousness behind it, just go, hey, Pascal, you're about to lose it. If, if that ability, it's like when people get drunk, there's a little sign that goes, if you drink anymore, you're going to lose it. <laughs> you know? It's mm -hmm. that kind of a thing. There's a little sign that shows up. If you, if you can pick it up, then all these techniques work really well. And uh, But that's if you catch it in time, right? Yeah. If you're completely hijacked. Yeah. Dina was saying, if you're in the red zone, how do you get back to yellow? 
the reality is for most people, just pick yourself up, dust yourself off and uh, get back to your practice. There is no real shortcut to this. There is, I mean, you can numb and distract yourself, but ultimately it's a, it's a hand-to-hand combat. You just got to sit yeah. down and be the witness behind your body sensations, thoughts, Im- images, and emotions. There's no shortcut. So, so I've been looking for shortcuts my whole life. I guess, I guess <laughs> I've been erroneously. Well, well I think you're right. Like if, when you, you just got to sit with it in a certain sense and sit with the discomfort yeah. and notice the discomfort. And that's the hardest part for people is it's to un- be yeah. in discomfort. Mm. It's a very but, undiplomatic reality, which is, you know, you got to feel it to heal it. Right. And it feels unpleasant. And there you are just feeling it uh, and being that again. behind it. it. To feel it to what? You have to heal it. it. So there's a nuance here. You know, people often say, oh, I've been depressed for so many years. I'm so anxious. And usually they're not really depressed or anxious. They are with the apparent source of it. So depression is something unpleasant happened in the past or something pleasant did not happen in the past. And the mind is rolling around in a past negative scenario. So the mind is sort of trapped in a hallucination of the past, which doesn't exist right now. The actual depression is not being acknowledged, which is happening in the body. Same with anxiety. They're not with their anxiety. They're with some future horrific scenario that doesn't even exist, right? So the actual anxiety is not in the future. It's happening right now in your body. So it's just a question of dropping the awareness inside the body. Now you are in contact with what you're calling anxious because the anxiety was never out there. It was always in you. It was never in the future. It's, it's always happening now. The interesting thing about anxiety is um, it's it's this excess energy that has nowhere to go. Yes. Right? Because you're, what anxiety is, is the adrenal gland goes on board and sends out hands on deck while we're dying. And it, it releases all these chemicals in the, in the brain and the body, and yet nothing's really dying. So these chemicals have nowhere to go to actually act. Mm. So I had an incredible case of a patient who was a highly anxious patient. And then she actually had a, she had an emergency at two in the morning and she had to wake her husband, go to the ER, call me. We had to do emergency surgery so she didn't die. And she, when we took, processed it after she said it was amazing she didn't have one ounce of actual anxiety she had the action something's wrong I got to do it I got to do this I got to do that I got to do this and then the minute she got to the hospital and she saw me and she knew we put in the IV in and everything was going to be okay her whole body calmed down Mm. she survived and she realized it's because the anxiety that excess energy that was to save her life had a place to go to save her life and yeah. when she was normally worried about, you know, cooking, overcooking dinner or whatever, there was the same chemicals in her body, but there was no place to go because she wasn't dying. And it healed her anxiety, actually. Amazing. Yeah. Once we processed it, because she got to reprocess what was really going on before versus what really is life or death, right? Right. So. That's beautiful. What I heard was. Anxiety would be excess potential looking for aligned action. Yes, exactly. Right? Because it's we're supposed it's brilliant to have the adrenal gland take over when you're dying. 
that's what keeps you alive. The problem is it takes over and you're not really dying and <laughs> no place to put the adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's why people, you go running, you're using your adrenaline to run. So it's exercise helpful. is a wonderful way for people to dissipate the excess energy. When I have anxiety, I'm like, I got to go. I, I got to go. I got to, I got to move. Yes. And also with things like running and swimming and biking, there's always, there's, there's a rhythmic breathing to it as well. So these are rhythmic oh. things that also brings you into a state of harmony with your body, breath, and mind. And you get into the state that you just said, um, I start becoming conscious of my body. Mm. Um, I get out of my mind, right? Because I'm breathing, I'm moving my body, and I'm noticing the physicality of my being. Mm. Which is what, what you commented before about the consciousness getting contact with my internal reality. Mm. Which is interesting. So this podcast wouldn't be a podcast with me if I didn't sing an ode to the practice of yoga and how it is a way to come out of this. If, mm -hmm. if we look at the classic, almost dictionary definition of yoga from what I call the yoga sutras, the meaning of yoga is called in Sanskrit, yoga chit vritti nirodaha. The meaning is yoga, the practice, the grandest, deepest, you know, you know, um, broadest version of the practice, not just the physical movements, the practice of yoga, chitta, is this non-localized intelligence that we all have access to, which is really profound, unsullied by time, space, memory, identity. It's a profound intelligence. That's where genius hangs out. That's where the truest forms of our love, power, freedom, flow, and wisdom hangs out. And then there's vritti. Vritti are distortions. There's the noise that distorts the, the music, right? Mm. Nirodaha is cessation of the distortion. And it goes on to say, which means once that happens, you see reality as it really is. Mm. And that's profound. That's deep. Yeah. I mean, the implications are profound. So how do we do that? There are various different tools. Obviously, yoga is like a massive artillery, like an entire army of tools that you can use. Um, so overall, the tools fall into four categories. And those are four human capacities. One thing is that we have the capacity to act, physical action. So when you refine, refine, refine your physical action, no matter what it is, you end up in a state that is very pristine, uh, that is pure chitta mind. And that's called karma yoga, selfless service, refining your action to the point of impeccability, selfless service. The second capacity we have is we have the ability to feel emotions. So when we refine, refine, refine our emotional states until we can get to like divine, ecstatic, highly elevated states, this is the form of bhakti yoga, using emotion as a portal to get to that state of chitta or this one mind state. Mm -hmm. The third faculty that we have is we have um, our intellect. Our ability to speak and discern, you know, is it true, rational, logical, scientific, is it meaningful, all that stuff. So through learning, academically, we can get to very fine states. That's a very difficult path, but nevertheless, it's called jnana yoga, the path through knowledge. Just by having discourses, studying and reading, your mind can take you to sublime states of profound insights and transcendence. And the third, sorry, the fourth faculty we have is Awareness, observation, we're able to observe ourselves. 
And that's the path called Raja Yoga. It's the scientific path. Raja means king or ruler. So most of us are not the, uh, the rulers of our, our system called I. We're slaves to it. A little pain here, a little discomfort here. We kind of you know, get so wobbly. So Raja Yoga is about mastering this thing called I and using a very scientific rigor through experimentation, but in this case it's experience, understanding what this I is. So these are the four main paths of yoga. I, I've been favoring the, the Raja Yoga path because of my engineering background. Uh, I, I just love to go into and experience, explore for myself, how does the system work? Raja Yogis speak in usually very scientific terms. They, there's no leaps of, believe me, you know, bro. <laughs> there's no leaps of, have faith. It's very scientific, rigorous path, and people can test it, validate or not validate it, refine, refine, refine for centuries. The Jnana Yogis, they speak very intellectually. You know, they use big words. It gives you a headache after five minutes. You know, it's a very complicated intellectually. Uh, like Krishnamurti, people like that, you know, very, very intellectual people. Uh, bhaktis, they're the creatives. They're the artists, the, the dancers, the poets. You know, they express themselves through sculpture and, and, and singing and so on, right? Um, and finally, the karma yogis, you hardly ever hear about them because they could be a street sweeper, they could be a president, it doesn't matter. They're just using their action um, and just purifying the action to make it more and more selfless. So there are karma yogis everywhere that nobody's aware of. So I laugh because Arthur's heard me ad nauseum talk about the four bodies, yeah. the mind body, the physical body, the heart or emotional body and the energy body. And as you were doing this, I'm trying to figure out which is which, right? Oh, no. <laughs> no, and I totally see it. It's so funny. I can see the four and everything, right? Mm -hmm. So your emotion and the art and the dance, you're con connecting to your heart, right? You're connecting to just this beautiful connection of emotion and expressing the emotion. Mm -hmm. The observation and the scientific path is your mental logic brain going up there. The weird part was I was trying to figure out your intellect and the logical learning knowledge, but mm. I think that's actually the body. It's the logic of the physical body, even mm. though it's knowledge. And then your pure selfless service is actually, I think, the energetic body. It's pure connection to the molecules of each individual and the universe, right? So these are that, just as you said, these they're the hidden street sweepers just living the yogic path. They're connecting through their smile and their simpleness of just connecting to being. It's a beautiful observation. So I don't know if that's true, but it's it's a fun way to play with it. We'll go with it. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. So these are the practices. So the, the, the saying is you practice and practice. So you're practicing even when you're distracted. So, you know, this notion of you do the practice so that even when life gives you a squeeze or surprises you and, you know, unwanted things happen, wanted things don't happen, then you still can remain an awareness behind this impermanent fluctuation content arising. Um, and perhaps in this, I can speak about the three deep insights from the Buddhist tradition, the way I understand it. Please. The three are the biggest insights. The first insight is what's called anicca, which means impermanence. So we're living in a causal universe, cause effect, everything is changing. 
I turn my head, my objective reality changes, uh, my subjective reality is changing all the time. My physical structure is changing from a baby to this structure now. My thoughts, images, emotions, body sensations, everything I've ever known has had one thing in common. It's been changing. So why get worked up about it if everything is changing? Right? So that's the first insight, everything's changing. The second one is called anatta. This is a very peculiar one. It's, it's a very, it, it's, it's, a, it's a mind bender. It's a, like a Jedi mind trick. If everything is changing, where is the I? Where is this thing, thing staying static long enough to say I? This whole thing I'm referring to as I is a verb, not a noun. It's just changing all the time. So there's nothing static called I. Peculiar discovery. Mm -hmm. uh, especially when it's experiential. And the third insight is what's called dukkha. And dukkha means suffering. Suffering. So now I know why I suffer. Expecting the impermanent to be permanent is why I suffer. So even when life is a sweet breeze, summer song, there's an anxiety build. What if I lose it? There's a grappy, you know, um, clenchingness to holding on to it, intensifying it. And of mm -hmm. course, eventual depression from having lost it. So even the good stuff is torturing us, you know, forget the bad stuff. <laughs> so mm -hmm. this is it. So when we just sit in the understanding that this anxiety is impermanent, this person speaking meanly is impermanent. This wonderful compliment is impermanent. <laughs> so you can wear that whole thing a little loose. Yeah, that's beautiful. So what you're basically saying is you don't, a, a true yogi doesn't practice yoga in a, in a class. A true yoga yogi is practicing yoga 24-7. And they happen to take a yoga class sometimes. It's a way of being, yeah. Yeah. It's a funny thing. In, in India... Asana practice, the physical thing, hasn't been a big deal, honestly. It's a very small part of it. It's mm. just a way to prepare the body for the real practice. Mm. You know, and there are the eight limbs of yoga. Asana is just a preparatory limb. So I'll just briefly, quickly say, the first one is about social conduct. You know, how you should be simple living kind of a thing. Um, next one is about personal conduct. You know, how you're impeccability of just how you're living your personal life. Then is prepare your body, the asana practice. So if your body is hurting, aching, paining, hanging here, hanging there, difficult to, to do the experiment. So you prepare the body. So from a yogic perspective, a healthy body is a body that can be still for a meaningful duration without getting disturbed by aches and pains. That's a healthy body. Mm -hmm. Everything else is just bonus, right? Mm -hmm. And now you're ready to enter in. That's called you do the pranayama, the breathing technique to prepare the mind. As is the breath, so is the mind. And then you drop inside the subjective reality called pratyahara, introspection. Then you develop this one-pointedness called dharana, concentration, at the level of uh, your subjective reality, thoughts, images, emotions, primarily body sensations. And then there, there comes a point where the observer, observing, observed, collapses and that's what you're calling meditation, dhyana. And, uh, and that essentially sets the fertile soil for a transpersonal experience, which the yogis call samadhi. And in other circles, they call it the, the O, or the orgasmic uh, openness of yeah. oneness. Yes, many names for the same water, yes. Yep, yep. <laughs> So that's that's really beautiful stuff. And mm. the depth of yoga, and most of us only know 
the 50 minute class or the 75 minute class, you know, it ends. Then we got to go back to the day schedule. You know, yeah. um, I want to, I want to praise. I actually just took a CME course. It was a two day, was it two days or three days? I think it was three days of, um, for medic CME on yoga. It was a bunch of different teachers on yoga. Doing medical education. Oh, continue medical education. Okay, really? I was so proud of oh, that we that actually got me. medical education for it. Yeah. Lovely, lovely. Bringing, bringing yoga into into Western med, right? So you've been talking about that for years. I know, but there's actually people are doing it. There's this yoga university that put it on. It was really, really good. Well, one of the forefathers of integral medicine, uh, Dr. Andrew Wheel, has been talking about it since, the, I believe, the early 60s. So it's just taken a long time to it's, get there, it, but it's been known for such a long time. Oh, yeah, but, but we're dragging the Western. So well. Yeah. It's like dragging them like a ball and chain for them to understand. So the prop, well, my jaded view is if we make people well, then they won't need the, the system that caters to our illness. <laughs> I'll focus on their good intent. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. So tell me um, and tell our listeners, when you prepare your day, mm. how do you start your day to keep you centered? And how do you come back during the day when you get pulled off? Beautiful question. The key is having a morning practice. The mm. morning practice is a complete game changer. It doesn't matter if it's 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever you can afford yourself. If it's 10 minutes, it just means going to bed 10 minutes earlier. It's not a big deal, right? And that's a form of prepping, which is you prepare your body, your mind, your energy, your breath, your mood for the day ahead. It's like you, you fill up your bank. You, if the bank is empty, where's the money going to come from, right? So you take the morning to fill up your bank. So, uh, you know, whatever... Rocks your boat, you know, for some people's running, swimming, going through a gym, uh, doing some yoga. Um, but as long as you feel that vitality, you know, uh, I've released some videos on like, you know, 10 minutes practices. You can just invigorate yourself. There are many great teachers everywhere. So do something that loosens up your body, strengthens your body, frees up your energy, clears your mind, puts you in a good mood. And then you take a little time to journal. And that journal, my reality is I don't physically journal. I don't write although many people do, my reality is I visualize. I take a moment to just see the highest version of the day ahead. I wonder what I want to experience today. And I just see the highlights. And you know how this works. Uh, this is the, the, the notion of non-grasping seeing in the most ordinary way is seeing the highest version of the day of what you want to experience. Um, and that gives me kind of like a beacon for the day ahead. So it's not some rudderless ship accidentally bumping into things, right? So... Mm -hmm. That's simple practice. And then capping that off with a very uh, super-powered breakfast. And to me, what that means is having a green smoothie with all the best ingredients in it. So you put the best fuel into your body first thing in the morning. And I do like to top that off with a cold shower because it really invigorates me. I've really enjoyed that very much. It's, you know, you, you know all this, you know, dopamine and so on starts to circle in the body. You feel so good. Uh, and what a lovely way to start the day. So something like that, it's not about the complexity of it. It's much more about the regularity of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. That's great. And when you get knocked off kilter in the middle of your day, how do you come back? Well, when I get to an eight or nine out of 10, 
pick yourself up, dust yourself off and start again. <laughs> start again. That's just, you know, you got to first forgive yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, and that's all right. And that's, it's a, it's, it's a human journey. You have a long way to go. Yeah. You know, accept the fact that this is a, this is a learning process. So if I find myself either being pulled in and pulled away from things, if it's a four to seven out of 10, then I just really, I really truly enjoy the practice of connecting with the body sensation. Doesn't matter if it's pleasant or unpleasant. So say I'm having a business meeting, it's going really well, and I feel myself getting excited, and I feel my need to prove and promote myself. And it's just fun being the witness around that need. It's a beautiful feeling. So you're no longer the need, you're the awareness behind it. So the need becomes like a cloud passing through the sky, and you're just experiencing it without becoming it. Um, so that's a beautiful thing. You want to bring the amplitude down in your life so that most things fall under a seven. And objectively, it, it takes a lot for me to get past a seven. So, it, you know, it takes a lot to knock me off kilter. Uh, and if it happens, pick yourself up. But most things are under seven, in which case it's just so fun to just be the witness behind the experience. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the ultimate gift. You know, I, I know I only have a few breaths left in this reality. And what a privilege it is to experience anything. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be anger, mm -hmm. it could be resentment, it could be guilt. These are all things that are only going to last a few more breaths. So it's just uh, slipping into that gratitude for experiencing anything. Yeah. Gratitude for the human experience. Yeah. This notion hey, every, day we war every day we wake up, it's mm -hmm. like, oh, my gratitude practice. I woke up again. Yeah. And you and I both know that this beautiful poem by Rumi in this notion that this body is a guest house and these visitors keep coming, uh, guilt, anger, shame, malice, joy, whatever it is, and you treat them honorably because they're carrying a message from the beyond. Mm -hmm. So these are learning experiences showing up in my body. Thank you. <laughs> what's, yeah. what's the message you have for me? Oh, look, I have this trigger from my childhood because I wasn't whatever, right? So yeah. the wonderful ways to kind of do a self-clearing and self-understanding and just living a more examined life. I love it. Oh my gosh. I could talk to you for hours, but our listeners probably have other things to do. They got to go to a yoga class. So I think we're going to have to say that's once again, all the time we have for today. I really, really appreciate. I could listen to you all day long, Baskar. Thank you yeah. so much for your amazing insights. Yeah, um, that was great. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. I'd like our listeners to support you, Baskar. Check out all your links in the show notes. He's got an active practice um, up in Canada, but he does, I'm sure, coaching all around the world. So don't ever feel, if you don't live in Montreal, that you can't be part of Baskar's world. So check out his connections. He's on... We've got a BhaskarGaswami.com media and BhaskarGaswami.com websites. So check those out. And remember that our podcast drops every Monday at 9 a.m. Please subscribe, share with friends, give us a review. And until next time, please remember, time is our most valuable resource. So get proactive, be productive to ensure you produce your very best life.